Welcome to Next in Nonprofits. I'm Steve Boland, and I am very excited to uh, welcome Matt Stokes, the Senior Associate Director of Prospect Management and Research at Morehouse. Uh, Matt, thanks so much for taking the time to join me today. Hi, Steve. Thank you so much for having me today. Uh, my name is Matt Stokes. As you said, I am in Prospect Development at Morehouse College, which was founded in 1867 and is a historically Black college here in Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, Morehouse... Yeah, go ahead. I was just going to ask you a little bit more about the founding of Morehouse and uh, how it's been evolving over time. Why don't you just tell me a little bit more about that? Uh, sure. So Morehouse, um, since its founding, has been focused on um, educating um, young men of color, primarily um, young Black men, um, nurturing their minds and hearts to be the leaders of tomorrow. Um, and I think that Morehouse has a great mission. It's been focused on making sure that these young men have uh, critical thinking skills, uh, writing skills, research skills, presentation skills, um, so that they can go into the workforce and become leaders um, and make things happen for their communities. Outstanding. So uh, a really important mission, a super uh, cool institution that you work for. And we we started talking together about doing this podcast recording a little bit about your role in prospect management and research. And this is such an important uh, field in supporting philanthropy and, and community service work all across lots of different fields, uh, certainly education, but lots of other places too. Um, so I, I'm really interested in talking about um, how you see the field of developing potential supporters, people that are going to become financial donors, presumably, but you know any other type of supporter uh, to the work that you're doing now and, and how we might want to move that around. So um, how do you describe your work to people that don't understand what it, what prospect management and research means? Um, I usually explain it to them in that it is broken down into two parts. So you have the prospect research where you focus on uh, researching high net worth individuals and seeing if they have the capacity to give one, and then also seeing if they have the affinity um, to give to your cause. Um, and prospect research is not just limited to high net worth individuals. It also includes other kinds of donors like uh, grant makers. So researching hmm. foundations and corporations um, whose work might align with your cause. So that's also a part of prospect research. And when I talk to them about prospect management, I let them know that that has more to do with uh, building relationships with donors because fundraising is all about relationships. Um, so in my role at Morehouse, what prospect management looks like is meeting with our frontline fundraisers um, to talk about donors in their portfolios and how they are moving those relationships forward um, in terms of those donors wanting to fulfill their philanthropic goals, whatever they may be, and how those goals might align with Morehouse's priority projects and programs that we need support for. 
So I think a lot of charities, when they're thinking about how do they increase their their pool of financial supporters, what do they do to build donors? There's some understood tactics that you know have some value, but um, what you're doing is uh, probably more substantial or or, or you know uh, more in depth than maybe a lot of other charities take the time to do. At least as I understand the work within higher education, um, that it's pretty normal to see um, institutions like Morehouse invest the time and the energy in really understanding a potential donor base, often those are going to be alum, right? I mean, people that had attended the school, yes. but not necessarily exclusively. So am I correct that you kind of start with thinking our most natural constituency are our graduates and how do we talk to those people first? Or do you have other ways of thinking about expanding the reach of who might financially support the work? Yes, that is absolutely right, Steve. We uh, start first and foremost with our alums. Um, and we also have friends who give to us as well. And sometimes those friends come to us through uh, connections to our alums. Where an alum, say, from the class of 2003, um, gives regularly to support um, his alma mater, um, but might have a friend um, who's interested in Morehouse's mission through hearing his story and also wants to give. Um, so yes, we have alumni and friends um, who we consider uh, those high net worth individuals, if you will. And how do you start meeting some of those people? I think there's that fairly, you know, well understood. If if folks have been going to school there for a while, you, you know how to start a relationship with them. And I think many charities that don't necessarily are involved in higher education go well. You know, the people that cross the threshold that we see on a regular basis, we know how to talk to them. But expanding past that, how do you help identify people that might be interested in the work you're doing um, at at any level before you start qualifying them as well? That might be a major giver, or that could be a, a smaller recurring donor, or that might just be a, a an annual campaign fund contribution that would be nice and we'll move on to somebody else. Before you get to helping them figure out what's the right kind of gift, you have to know that affinity that you were talking about at the beginning. So how do you help meet people that may have an affinity support your mission, but don't yet really know you? That can happen in a number of ways. So one of those ways is through um, our board. Um, our board, we have like, you know, committed um, members who they want to see the school um, grow um, into the future long term. And through our board members, um, they might have connections who are interested in supporting Morehouse's mission. And so we talk to them um, about... Um, given to support the institution. And we also talk to them about um, people in their networks who might be interested in supporting what we do. And what's generous about, you know, having that kind of relationship is we do get um, to know people like through our board members where they will introduce somebody in their network to the work that we're doing at Morehouse. Um, and somebody from our uh, development team and our leadership team starts to build a relationship um, with those people, um, telling them the story and telling them the impact that uh, previous donors have had and showing them um, the work that we're doing and asking them about their passions and interests 
um, and seeing if there is an alignment there. Um, yes. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of labor intensive, as I understand it, right? I mean, it seems like there's a lot to do. Now, you can leverage volunteers like board members and whatnot, but eventually some of those folks have to, you need to know uh, how that's running for the institution to be able to get some sense of whether that's a, a good relationship. So as you support volunteers like board members or others that believe in the mission in reaching networks, um, are you then asking them to say, well, who who are you interested in meeting with? And, you know, can we know who those names are and track that, whether they're interested and, and might do some more? Uh, to me, it all kind of comes down to how do you evaluate the data of, you know, we, we've reached out to these folks and it didn't seem like a good fit, but we reached out to these other ones and it might be. So now we take these next steps with them. Yeah, so the question is, Steve, I just want to make sure that I understand the question. Well, around tracking that outside relationship building, because when you've got volunteers engaged in that, you don't have necessarily access to, did they have coffee with somebody? Did they make a phone call? Did they send an email? Um, but you'd like to be able to know, are are we moving people along in a relationship with the mission that we're supporting here? So do you help support those folks by checking in with the volunteers, providing them like data management tasks, that kind of thing, so that you know what's happening? I mean, it's it's got to be a little challenging to put all that time and energy into um, connecting with uh, outside volunteers and then not knowing, are they having those meetings? Are they going well? How are we doing here? Yes, that is, that is a great question and a great point that you bring up, Steve. Uh, for us, it comes down to having um, our frontline fundraisers um, assigned to our volunteers like board members and checking in with them from time to time to see how things are going on their end. Um, and that has proven to be very useful for us because we'll have where you know, board members will like meet with people in their networks about the possibility of supporting um, Morehouse. Um, and then that fundraiser will follow up with that board member to figure out, hey, like, how did this conversation go? Um, you know, what are next steps? Like, how can we work together to move this relationship forward? And we're tracking that information on our end um, and doing research on the back end um, to inform moving their relationship forward, if that makes sense. Well, I, I think that's one of the challenging pieces about this for a lot of folks getting involved in prospecting is, um, you know, maybe the, what I would think somewhat um, fictional idea that you just go by access to somebody's database and then you've got all the donors in the world and you can just start calling them, which I don't think is how it really works versus we're building our own database, but we need to track who we've reached out to, um, what, what their areas of interest are. Um, some of those tools can be very helpful in that, but they can also be fairly expensive, you know, uh, um, you know, more specific into educational institutions, but there's also the general ones, the Blackbods and Salesforces of the world. Those tools have got to be in play in order for you to know how to best use your time, I'm assuming. Which types of databases or systems uh, have you had experience with and, and how do you find them helpful or maybe sometimes hindering? Well, in the past, um, I've used uh, Razor's Edge uh, uh -huh. through BlackBot, which I think is a great um, CRM, um, customer relationship management uh, software. And right now at my current institution, we use Salesforce 
um, which is great um, as a, a prospect management tool, um, which allows um, our fundraisers to keep track of um, tasks and like, action items that come from uh, building relationships with donors in their portfolios. Um, so there is um, room to document um, interactions, phone calls, emails, uh, meeting for coffee, like you name it. There is a space to um, document and list like tasks, um, like next steps that need to be taken to move the relationship forward um, and to do things um, that the donor requested. Um, so I think that Salesforce has been uh, very um, helpful um, in that regard. Um, and then you also asked about um, how can it be um, a hindrance? Um, you know, I think CRMs are very helpful for keeping track of relationships, um, but no CRM is perfect. Mm -hmm. um, so there are most definitely things that um, staff might ha have to do that the CRM like doesn't do. Um, and a lot, a lot of that could be, um, you know, reminders, um, and the data analysis. Um, and I think those, those are some of the things that, um, that we have to do like on our part, um, that Salesforce doesn't do. Um, so I think that in that way it could be, it has been a hindrance. Yeah, I hear you. Well, now, now is kind of where it raises the question of how you got into, you know, prospect management and research as a field, because, uh, you know, you you don't necessarily think about this as, uh, you know, here's the, you know, bachelor's degree that trains you how to do prospect management, right? I mean, the, the, this is a little bit more on the job training in the fund development world. The, there's not as much um, that I'm aware of anyway. So correct me if I'm wrong in terms of really helping you understand these tools are really useful for this part of the job, but other things, you know, they don't do and you need to be on top of how to help build that relationship. So how did you come into this field of work and um, how do you see people learning some of the things that you've been learning as you've done this? Yes. Um, so I came into fundraising when I was a student at Oberlin College. Oh, wow. I was a student co-caller for the Oberlin Annual Fund. <laughs> and that was a great opportunity for me. When I started, I was very nervous. I wasn't familiar with um, asking people who I didn't know for money, but I became more familiar with it and more comfortable with doing it. Um, and that experience really did um, set me up for a, a rewarding career. I'm in fundraising. So if I'm being honest with you, I think most of the opportunities that I've had in this field have been generalist roles. And what I mean by that is that I've been in positions where I wore many hats, where I did, you know, a range of things from, you know, gift processing, prospect research, thank you letters, uh, appeal writing, grant writing, um, and I came into my current opportunity through um, a friend and mentor of mine who was working at Morehouse and told me about um, this opportunity. Um, and you know, I reviewed the job description. We met and I had some questions. 
Um, and I was really excited about it because I had remembered doing uh, prospect research um, in previous roles, but it was just one of the things that I did. And I knew that this was going to be an opportunity to, to take a deep dive um, into uh, learning more about prospect management, prospect research, and prospect development. Um, and it has been a good um, opportunity for me. I've learned a great deal. Um, and as far as how other people can get involved um, and learn more about prospect development. Um, I think what I've seen in my experience, um, especially when I worked at Berea College, um, our pros the prospect uh, development department there, they uh, hired uh, student workers um, to help them with uh, prospect research. Um, so I know that that is an entry point for some people who end up in uh, prospect development. Um, well, I, I, no, that, that's helpful to understand. I think that there's, you know, the, in the field that we're working in, you know, so many of us have come in, you know, from other areas of study, other, uh, you know, community work, and we, we come into charities around the mission components that really attract us, but then somebody needs to help raise the dollars that pay the bills to get the work done. And um, that's not something that's necessarily as clear to everybody else thinking, well, great, I, I have to go out and meet some new donors. I'm not even sure how to start building a list. So um, when you when you think about your work within higher education, again, there's that sort of natural constituency to begin with and, and lots of alum that have graduated over the years. If you've been at a you know, historically black college or university, it's got 150, 70 years behind them. You know, there's a lot of folks to talk to, <laughs> but other charities aren't necessarily in that um, place of, you know, we have this alumni field, for example. So as you think about what you're learning and hearing about um, prospecting out there, how do you consider or think about uh, folks building a, a broader list of people to talk to. What what first strategies do you think about when you're um, looking at your smaller community-based nonprofit, sub-million dollar kind of organization, doesn't have a lot of history, but they still have a really good mission. They just need to connect to people that may care about it. How do they help meet those people first? That is a great question. I appreciate you asking it. Um, one of the strategies that come to mind for me um, is the fact that smaller nonprofits can most definitely um, do research to figure out which nonprofits are doing the same or similar work. And what's great about that strategy is that um, sometimes nonprofits will post uh, annual reports on their websites, and you can see. Um, donors who have given to support their programs and projects. And they'll even list by dollar amount at which um, giving level donors, both individuals and foundations and corporations that have supported um, their organization. And I think that that is a good starting point because, you know, if you know, Mr. Smith, you know, has given to X, Y, and Z organization and their organization is doing the same or similar work as your organization. Um, if he has the affinity and capacity to support X, Y, and Z organization, then mm -hmm. 
um, the same is true for your organization. And so it's a matter of um, doing research and finding a way to connect with Mr. Smith to see if he would be interested um, in giving to your organization. Because at the end of the day, you know, donors do have like philanthropic goals that they're looking to fulfill. Like they want to make a difference in this world. Um, and they have causes that are near and dear to their heart um, just based on their life's experiences. And so Mr. Smith could most definitely be the kind of person who, you know, wants to support um, like homeless, like men and women um, in Chicago, for example. And there may be another nonprofit um, that is doing that kind of work. Um, and so you can kind of see, okay, who is supporting this nonprofit doing this work that we're doing and looking at um, who their donors are as a starting point. Sure. No, those are good ideas and important tactics. So as you're thinking about that um, kind of scan out there of um, like organizations, I think one of the other challenges sometimes with newer groups is they hopefully are coming into a field that um, doesn't have as much over provision of service. I, I think sometimes you've got uh, a, a more competitive landscape out there for, you know, animal rescue charities, for example, it seems like where I live, there's just so many of those and, uh, new ones seem to come along all the time. And, and that happens in that field, but it's easy to see where, where donors are coming from, as opposed to, you know, we're, we're looking at completely different types of nonprofit work, uh, new types of education, new types of outreach in community, new directions. And it's a little harder to think about that, uh, you know, looking for a, an, ex, an existing charity that's already got some support and, and seeing how they might be lined up. Uh, so, you know, when you talk about the peer supported network opportunity through things like schools, you know, one way to do that is to ask a, you know, uh, an alum to talk to newer graduating classes or something like that. Those are peers. But here, I think we may be thinking about how do we identify a smaller group of people that believe in this mission and ask them to go into their personal networks that aren't necessarily we graduated from the same school, but just if you care about this new mission, this new idea, this new thing. Maybe you know some other people that do too, but I don't know the people you know. You're going to have to go through that peer work and find out who do you think those people are. And that can be sort of time intensive to to do. Have you had a chance in your work to sit down with uh, existing supporters and ask them to envision who in your network really might care about what we're doing? And how do you help them find those common values when they're thinking about their friends, their LinkedIn connections, their whatever? Um, that is a good question, and um, an organization that comes to mind for me um, that is near and dear to my heart is Posse. Um, you know, so Posse is a college access and success program that mm -hmm. was founded in the 1980s because of a student that said that he never would have dropped out of college if he had his Posse. Uh -huh. So then was born like this idea to send cohorts of students to top tier colleges and universities with a support system where you help them persist through and graduate from college. And then when they graduate, they have access to um, this network of peers who have gone through the same program um, and they can um, learn from and support one another. Um, so I say all that to say that I was the senior development officer uh, for Posse Atlanta um, for 
um, one year and during my time with them, they had a peer-to-peer -peer, uh, fundraising program um, and it was mostly used by uh, board members. So the Posse Atlanta Advisory Board, um, if they were interested, they could set up a peer-to-peer -peer giving page on um, our platform to um, raise money uh, toward their give get commitment mm -hmm. uh, for the fiscal year. Um, and what was great about them setting up that page is not only were they telling the story of Posse, but they were also showing how Posse has impacted lives and impacted communities, um, impacted society as a whole. And then they're also sharing like why they give to Posse. Um, so once they created their peer-to-peer -peer page, they could send it via email, they can send it um, across their social media platforms um, and talk to their networks about why this work is very important and why they should support it. Um, and I thought that that was a very good um, system and there was a very good way of um, showing um, the world the impact that Posse is having and why they um, should consider um, giving. Um, and I find that that has been a recurring theme throughout my career of um, with any organization, like the most engaged donors, um, you know, telling um, a nonprofit's story with conviction and like why they give and like why it's important and um, who it supports, who benefits. Um, I think that's always been a good way for uh, nonprofit organizations to um, not only like share their story, um, but get people like interested in um, wanting to give to further their missions. Yeah, I, I one thing I want to follow up on with what you just said in particular is is finding and using platforms that allow those peer supported pages to kind of tell their own story. So it's great to have your individual um organizational donate page here and there that says you know we are charity x we do fantastic work please give here's the the way to do that um but it is sort of this you know institution to individual conversation versus my name is steve i really you know fell in love with this mission because of these reasons i wanted to help out this way um i'm reaching out to my friends my network um here's why i'm doing that and to have lots of those types of pages created rather than just the one you know central location it's different to have that opportunity to to bring in people from that personal connection you were you were saying right at the beginning that you know really this is all about relationships uh to help build that connection so using those tools i think is really important so when you mentioned posse using them uh do you did they have their own custom platform did they use like a, a blackboard style tool or any one of the the more popular ones that we might have heard of that that allow you to do peer supported fundraising pages like that yes they used uh Blackbutt style okay. tool to to do the peer to peer fundraising, uh, and there's affordable ones out there too that that make those things available for folks that are thinking, well, I can't afford you know uh, a, a razor's edge level of tool right away. I'm I'm a smaller nonprofit. I don't have access to that. Um, but there's a lot out there, uh, and I, I guess I will try to put a link in the show notes to the um, 
the tech impact list of you know lower cost uh, fundraising solutions that uh, are good entry points there they have a way of sorting through for this type of functionality because most of them allow you to just take a credit card donation online process a check gift you know all those kinds of things but uh, to be able to create that separate narrative of here's why Matt likes this charity here's why Steve likes this charity you know here's why these people are are supporting that mission can be a really great way of bringing people in um once you get them in and I'm I'm interested in in thinking through that potential um who might be a a, a more substantive donor who might be somebody who gives it a less large dollar amount but they're going to be regular and they're important to us uh how do we start helping understand that first gift, that second gift from those people uh, coming in towards how we react to them. Because, you know, if I make a $25 gift to a charity as my uh, gift to somebody's peer supported fundraising campaign, and I get an email message in, in 36 minutes going, that was great. Can you give $500? Um, I'm going to go, boy, you didn't pay any attention to what just happened here. Did you? That, that, that one just went right over your head. Um, we don't want to, under ask we don't we don't want to do that either because my guess is if you go to somebody that can make the five hundred dollar gift and you ask them for 25 bucks they'll give you 25 bucks you know absolutely i can afford 25 but here you go so there's that really difficult space of we don't know you yet we're getting to know you um where is your level of comfort in supporting this mission how do we help you engage in it in a way that helps us, but uh, doesn't feel off-putting in either direction to you. Uh, so how do you think about that when those first gifts come in uh, to help understand where might that donor eventually land with supporting your work? Um, well, that's, that's a great question. I am thinking about stewardship. I think stewardship mm -hmm. is very important. And I think that all donors should be thanked. Like every dollar matters. Um, all donors should be thanked. You know, if they give $25, they should be thanked. If they give $5,000, they should be thanked. And when you think about, like, think about those those first-time givers, I think what's really nice is that you can go ahead and, like, thank them and ask to set up a call with them to talk to them about um, their gift, you know, thanking them for their gift, telling them why it's important, and asking them why they chose to give to your organization. Um, and that's why I say, you know, fundraising is all about relationships because those donors are gonna like tell you, this is why I gave to your organization. Um, and I think it's really important too, to ask them if they want to have a relationship um, with your organization where, you know, you can check in with them from time to time um, about how things are going um, like in their lives and, you know, what other causes they are giving to, you, you know, you can talk to donors about a range of things. Um, but I think that's a very important, like, first step is to, one, um, thank them for their gift, um, whether that's via email, a handwritten note, donors love handwritten notes. Um, and then, you know, reaching out to them to see if they would be interested um, in, having a, you know, a meaningful two-way relationship um, with your organization where you can, yeah, check in with them from time to time. Um, yes. 
So that's, I think, the gold standard. Absolutely. We would like to do that as much as possible. But as as smaller organizations are growing into capacity, uh, I think that becomes sort of a volunteer coordination role rather than a staff role, just because the amount of people, if you're at all lucky, I mean, even if you've got just a thousand donors or 2000 donors, you know, making individual calls to everybody is extremely time intensive. So uh, do you do some triage at the beginning when you're still trying to build staff capacity or volunteer capacity? Do you sort of let some automation come in at the smaller levels and, and concentrate your effort a little bit higher up the food chain until you've got more capacity? Um, I, I'm sure you you and most people in this work would like to spend a lot of time with every potential donor, but it, it just eventually usually comes down to a question of resources, right? Yes, that is a good point. And so um, what I've seen in the past is organizations that tier donors. They have, you know, tier A, tier B, tier C. Um, and what you see in that is if you can imagine like a pyramid. And so at the base level, you have um, your direct response program, which is more automated to your point where you're sending appeals um, to donors um, at that level, whatever that level may be, um, and asking them to support you. And then also like thanking them when they support you. And then the next level up tier B, you have your mid-level donors who give at a higher level um, and you can think of that as um, one to some. Um, tier C, that bottom level is one to many. Um, and so you thank those donors um, and you work to um, build relationships with them. Um, maybe not all of them, some of them. Um, and then you know, at the top of that pyramid, you have one to one, which is your major gift donors. Um, and so your um, your outreach um, and communication to those donors is more targeted. Mm -hmm. um, and that's really where you get to the point where you have those meaningful two-way relationships. If donors have agreed that, hey, yeah, I want to have this relationship with your organization where we can talk about um, the giving um, and what I'm interested in and what else is going on in my life, if that makes sense. Sure. Uh, I, I'm surprised to note that our time is already slipping away. We've just been chatting for a little bit, it seems like, and we're already going, oh, we don't have that much time left. I do want to ask you a couple more things before we run out of time completely. Um, one is about thinking about external tools in building connection and relationships. So you'd mentioned right at the beginning <clears throat> that people may want to reach out to um, fund, people that have been funding other organizations and see how you know your work kind of fits in with them. But there's also this level of, you know, LinkedIn stalking and, um, you know, actual formal wealth screening tools that are available for um, purchase to be able to integrate into those databases. How do you see the role of some of those more tech-oriented tools in learning about people? And are those things you have any experience putting into play or heard other people using? Well, like using LinkedIn to learn more about donors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, that, that is something that um, I do in my current role. Mm -hmm. Like when, I, when I'm researching a donor, um, you know, I will visit um, their LinkedIn page if they have one. Um, and since most of that information is like self-reported, um, I do use some of that information when I'm create, putting together a, a research profile um, on that donor. And do you find that 
a, a helpful newer tool or is it not really as useful as just some of the, the good old fashioned um, um, relationship building? I mean, do you even find it worth the time? I find it worth the time um, as far as, um, yeah, finding more information um, on a person. Um, and there, there are other platforms that you can look at as well, um, like Facebook included, um, Instagram, like Twitter, mm -hmm. um, you know, people, like I said, it's like self-reported. And so if somebody is like, you know, posting about how they volunteered, um, at a local food bank and they posted a picture on Twitter, you know, that tells you what that donor is interested in. Um, and that's useful information for you if you are a nonprofit that is um, like a food bank or you support um, um, the needy in like your community. Um, so I, I think it's it's relevant information, and so you can you can you can find it you know across social media. You can Google people, um, and sometimes um, there are uh, there's like bios on them. Um, maybe from where they work or places where like they volunteer or like a board that they sit on. Um, and that is useful information that you can, can use as well. Um, and you can get that through a Google search. Right. Well, uh, sometimes, uh, Google searching has become challenging these days as more advertising, more clutter, more things are happening there, but you know, you've got to put all the tools to work, right. As you're thinking yes. about that, that's for sure. So um, just because you don't find them. And, and of course, some folks, you know, especially people of means may be intentionally removing themselves from more public spaces so that they're harder to find. Uh, and, and there again, our, our connection through people really makes it so much easier to meet folks like that. Uh, as you said, sometimes people don't have a LinkedIn profile, not because they don't have very interesting things to say, but because they're really not trying to call more attention to themselves and yeah, it no, makes it harder that, for us to find them. <laughs> that is, uh, that is very true. I would agree. There are some people who, um, are very good at that. Um, and they, they don't want to call attention to themselves. Um, and yeah, you know, they have their reasons. Um, so yeah, you can sometimes find things through a Google search, sometimes find things through like social media. Um, but yeah, you really, yeah, have to, to look all over, um, and make sure that you are verifying the information that you're finding. Um, yeah. Right. No, I think, yeah, don't, don't rely on it too much. Rely on it as something that you can cross check and think about and talk to people. But, um, there's, there's so many things out there that we could be spending even more time talking about, but we are running out of time. So I guess I, I will just ask you as we're getting ready to close, are there things uh, that you'd like to share that I didn't ask you about that you think are really helpful in the work that you do in thinking about bringing new people into supporting a mission? Um, sure. I think that, um, events are a good way, mm, yeah. um, to, um, help people learn more about uh, your organization, um, you know, hosting, um, you know, hosting a, a, a gala, if that's a route that you want to take, um, hosting like a volunteer day. Um, I think events are a great opportunity to bring people together to network and learn more about your organization. Yeah, I, I think as we uh, continue to 
re-engage with the, with our, our community more in person. Uh, you know, for a uh, few years there, things were were pretty hard <laughs> on the in-person connection and meeting new donors was a little bit less that way. But uh, certainly more people comfortable now getting together, learning about the charitable work, seeing it happen, uh, and then being willing to just have that that introductory conversation about how how might they support the work. Uh, you know, I always tell people that, uh, you know, giving some people a chance to support financially sometimes feels like, oh, gosh, I don't want to ask them for money. I'm like, it's a lot easier for some people to give money than it is to give their time or, you know, other ways that they could support it. Give them all the options and and let them pick. And, you know, absolutely. If you want to be a volunteer uh, out there working in the field doing this stuff, we will gratefully accept all of that help. And if that's just not in the cards for you and you can make a financial gift instead, then that's great. But you know, for a lot of folks out there, uh, it is more likely you're going to see a financial gift than you will see them, you know, being able to come in and, and give time or energy into moving the mission forward. So let's ask them, let's go find them and let's go ask them. <laughs> Right, right. That's right. <laughs> All right. Uh, we do have to wrap up, and I, I really appreciate your time. Uh, Matt Stokes is the Senior Associate Director of Prospect Management and Research at Morehouse. Matt, thanks so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Steve, for having me. It's been a great conversation.